Hey everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow. Tonight on The Readout. You know, after that stroke, I got knocked down, but I got back up. By January, by January, I'm going to be feeling even better. But he will still be a fraud. Yes, in fact, he did. He did get back up. John Fetterman joins me tonight in his first television interview since the debate. We know his health will continue to improve, but can we say the same thing about Herschel Walker? Two very different standards are being applied by the folks on the right. Also tonight, as Lauren Boebert dives deeper into Christian nationalism, you'll meet the candidate who could make her tenure in Congress a short one. And Arizona is the petri dish for everything Republican election deniers want to do across the country. And I will talk to the man who might be the last best hope for election integrity in that state. And we begin the readout tonight with a tale of two parties with just 12 days until the midterm elections. On the one hand, President Biden was in New York today giving his vision for the economy. 10 million jobs created since we took office, a record for any administration in American history. Unemployment is at 3.5 percent, the lowest it's been in 50 years. That's all in stark contrast to Kevin McCarthy's Republican leader of the House of Representatives, his fellow MAGA Republicans. Republicans usually always have platforms, say this is what we're for. Well, they can't tell you what they're for. But they'll make sure they'll tell you what they're against. The cap on the $2,000 cap on prescription drugs for seniors, gone. Tax credits, the lower energy bills, gone. Corporate minimum tax, gone. And then they're coming after Social Security. Biden is hoping that message will resonate with voters. Now, on the other hand, the Republican who wants to be speaker, Kevin McCarthy, said this is what voters should be thinking about 12 days out. If you care about the economy, if you care about crime your streets, if you care about having a future that's built on an economy that's strong and a nation that is safe, don't cast your ballot based upon party. Because even Democrat consultants, even those Democrats on CNN were embarrassed of who their nominee was and the capability of carrying out the job. This is a big job in the Senate. It's a big job in the House. It's a huge job in the White House. And okay, that actually is what I'd really like you to focus on for just a minute. The Republican leader was referring to Pennsylvania Democratic Senate candidate John Fetterman, who suffered a stroke, a medical crisis, as an embarrassment. Classy. Even though Fetterman addressed his health challenges head on at Tuesday's debate against Mehmet Oz. Let's also talk about the elephant in the room. I had a stroke. He's never let me forget that. And I might miss some words during this debate mush two words together, but it knocked me down, but I'm going to keep coming back up. The reality is Don Fetterman faced a health issue that affects millions of Americans. And real talk, it took a lot of guts for him to take that stage just five months into his recovery, a time when most people who suffer strokes are still facing at least some effects, even more so 
given that he was facing off against an opponent who has spent most of his career talking on TV, which, by the way, is not exactly the main job of a United States senator. In fact, in many ways, Fetterman is a model for Americans who've experienced similar health challenges. But to Republicans, it's disqualifying. And they've been aided by a media narrative latching onto Fetterman's health and how it may have affected his performance in Tuesday's debate. Okay, but if that's an acceptable narrative, why isn't the healthiness of another candidate in one of the most consequential Senate races being subjected to the same scrutiny? Georgia Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker, who, as he's battled allegations about his personal life, has repeatedly pointed to his own struggles with mental health. In fact, Walker's been open about his history with dissociative personality disorder. In a 2008 book, he acknowledged his history with violent urges and writes that he played Russian roulette and recounts sitting at his kitchen table in 1991, pointing a loaded gun with a single bullet at his head. Now, as he's running for Senate, Walker says he's healed and has completely overcome his past struggles. Yeah, but some experts told the New York Times healing isn't as simple as Walker suggests, adding, John Fetterman, the Democratic candidate for Senate, is facing questions from Republicans about whether he's fit to serve after a stroke. Even Republican strategists say Mr. Walker should answer similar questions. The fact is, look, millions of Americans also live with mental health challenges. It's not about perpetrating a stigma. It's that Herschel Walker's challenges are not being treated as disqualifying by Republicans. If anything, they're seen as an asset. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich even pointed to the fact that Walker had sustained concussions as a college and pro football player as a sign of what he can bring to the Senate. Of course, none of Walker's issues, health or otherwise, really matter to Republicans. To them, he's just convenient. They know they can get him to do what they want him to do. And last night, Senator Lindsey Graham told us the real reason Republicans are telling you Herschel Walker's issues should not matter. What is it about this guy? He changes the entire narrative of the left. We're a party of racists, Sean. Me and you're a racist. The Republican Party's racist. Well, what happens when the Republican Party elects and nominates Herschel Walker, an African-American black Heisman uh, Trophy winner, right? Olympian. It destroys the whole narrative. They're scared to death of Herschel Walker because if Herschel Walker becomes a Republican, maybe every other young child in America of color might want to be a Republican. Uh, hi, I am joined now by Michael Steele, former Republican National Committee chairman and host of the Michael Steele podcast and Juanita Tolliver, MSNBC political analyst, Democratic strategist and co-host of the What A Day podcast on Crooked Media Thank you very much both for being here. Michael, you know, you're at the disadvantage. You're not here with us, even though I know you could be, brother. You live, we live in the same state, so I'm a little bit annoyed <laughs> that you're not sitting here with me, but that's okay. It's true. It's true. But, but okay, so, 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 Michael, I do have to go to you because you were head of the RNC for a time. For me, it's the pointing at the silent man next to him as if he was an object. Yes. It's Lindsey Graham's completely, but, you know, sort of anodyne comments about, you see him? You see the black, he, he's black, right? You see how black he is? That proves we that we're not one. racist. There's a black man standing there. You see a black, look at him. You yeah. see how black he is? It, it's, it's the disrespect they have for black people and their belief that black people are essentially a prop. That when you place one in front of America, they will associate Republicans with anti-racism just because there's that black. Look at him. He plays football, right? He's athletic. Ain't that black? He got a lot of kids he didn't claim. Ain't that black? He's everything black is supposed to be, and he's going to do what we say. 
I, I found it incredibly offensive. But you're the black man on this panel. What did you think? No, of it? <laughs> I, I, I watched that. No, I watched that with the same gut wrenching feeling um, because Herschel Walker shouldn't need a white man to come to his defense. He should be able to stand on his own two feet and make his case. But he can't. And that's the problem. And they know he can't because he hasn't. And so they, you know, they trollop out Lindsay, you know, who's going to do his form of, you know, shucking and jiving for Herschel. And that's exactly what we watch. And it was heartbreaking um, and, and very disturbing to watch because the reality of it is Lindsay knows damn well that if you change Herschel's skin color, he is no more the nominee for the Republican Party in Georgia than I am. And I don't live in Georgia. Right. So the point is, why are you doing this? You know, this man is fit. And I really much appreciated the, the way you opened the program to talk about how these two individuals are being treated who have health related concerns. Right. And, and the fact is, the Republicans want to drop all over Fetterman for having a stroke, but they don't want to deal with the obvious mental concern, mental health concerns that Walker himself said he had. I mean, and to the point is, you don't just walk away from that. There, there's, there's a lot more involved here. Um, CTE is real, and, and, and it has effects while you're alive, obviously not diagnosed until you are no longer here. But the reality of it is, these are good and important health issues to discuss at, in both states. But yeah. Republicans don't want to do that, so they just want to do the you know, they're coming after him because he's a black Republican. No, he's not qualified for the job, Lindsay. Now, I'm sure if there was someone else that you had nominated, the conversation would be very different. But that's where we are. Right. And the difference is, Juanita, having had a stroke does not prevent you from being a senate, being right. a senator. I mean, John F. Kennedy was sickly most of his adult life. He managed to be a United States senator and president of the United States. No one knew what his health challenges were. FDR, right. as the great Lawrence O'Donnell pointed out last night, Winston Churchill, sickly throughout his entire prime ministership in Great Britain, no one even knew because the, the quality of your mind doesn't change with a stroke. Right. What Herschel Walker has admitted to was that he has dissociative disorder, that he's played Russian roulette. We know that he put a gun to the head of his former wife. He right. had violent tendencies. To me, this is something, if the media is going to go in on Fetterman for having had a recoverable illness that he's recovering from. I don't understand why it's not fair game to talk about Herschel Walker, because he clearly has deficits. And I feel like he's almost in the same category of the way the right uses Kanye. They oh, know that on. he has some issues. He said himself when he's not on his medication, he's not all there. And they are happy to trot him out and really Every exploit time. him and exploit his deficiencies that, you know, that, that he's mentioned. Right. And they're willing to push him out there in front and put him on Tucker and parade him around because they just need a black guy to be able to say, look at this black guy. And it makes He's them feel us. good. Yes. It makes them feel good. And what I got from that Lindsey Graham experience that we all had to watch as Herschel Walker sat there with a smirk on his face, Silently. happy to be the prop, as Lindsey Graham said, here, here is an acceptable black man. Because that was the message from that clip Amen. to white voters in Georgia. He is acceptable even with the violent history, even with the abuse towards his partner and his family, which his son has called out repeatedly yes, on social yes. media. This is still someone who is better than a reverend currently serving in the Senate in Warnock. 
And what I do appreciate, though, is that Senator Warnock did signal to this in their last debate. He called out the fact that Herschel Walker threatened a shootout with police right. as a sign about his previous violent tendencies. And whether or not that is related to his brain injuries or traumatic issues, like, that is still something that makes him unfit to serve. Yeah. And that should be the frame here that should be that we should be coming back to. And when you talk about the comparison with Herschel Walker's treatment compared to Fetterman's treatment, I look at Fetterman and I see, okay, you're a public servant who's been serving the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania for 10 plus years. That's right. In Walker, you got a washed-up athlete who's never served, who keeps paying for women's abortions, allegedly, mm -hmm. and wants to ban all abortions for everybody else. There's no comparison no, there here. They are not in the same league at, at all. all. At all. And let me play, let me play for y'all. This is the way that Donald Trump would be. Honestly, this is the way he's talked about people who have disabilities before. I promise you, if Herschel Walker was running as a Democrat, here's how Donald Trump would be treating him. Written by a nice reporter. Now the poor guy, you got to see this guy. Oh, I don't know what I said. Ah, oh, I don't remember. He's going like, I don't remember. I had the, oh, maybe that's what I said. And you know what, Michael? This is what double bothers me about the people who have been trotted out to endorse Herschel Walker. You have Tom Cotton, who said slavery was not so bad. It was a necessary evil. So, you know, he doesn't give a damn about black people. You have Rick Scott, who has already threatened that he's going to attack corporations that wouldn't donate to Republicans. He did the same thing that uh, Marjorie Taylor did. And, and now Lindsey Graham, who, when he had the opportunity to elevate an actual black United States senator and allow him to make a contribution, he undercut his fellow South Carolina senator and destroyed the bill that he was building. If he respects black men, then why didn't he let Tim Scott have that victory and have a legacy of his own? He undercut it. He went to the sheriff. So it's shown you they don't want a thinking black senator. He's too much for them. They were like, you can be here and wave quietly and silently wave, Tim Scott. But the minute you try to legislate, Lindsey Graham, your fellow South Carolina senator, is going to cut the legs out from under you. What they want is Herschel, who's going to sit there quietly and nod and nod and nod while he's being pointed to as if he is a prop. So here, here to, to that point, here's the question for Lindsey and uh, Cotton and others. So are you going to be holding... Uh, you know, Senator Walker's hand every day walking through the Senate halls? Are you going to be managing his schedule and his calendar? What kind of senator do you think he's actually going to be? What kind of staff is he going to be able to put together? Are you Whoever going to they be give involved? Him. Right. 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 Exactly. And we've seen that before. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so the reality of it is it goes back to the main point. They have someone that they can ultimately control. They have someone who is not going to be an independent voice for the people of Georgia. Um, there's not going to be, in any instance, uh, an opportunity for uh, the senator to work uh, collaboratively with uh, with maybe even Democrats uh, in the state of Georgia on issues that are important to Georgia, because he'll have this this thing in his ear telling mm -hmm. him always what to do and what to think and what to say. Now, and he's I happy to fill that role, too, Michael. I want to emphasize that. that Look at the way he sat there while Lindsey Graham yeah. objectified him and spewed racist uh, statements. But the reality is he doesn't want to have to do the job. I, I want to make that explicitly clear. He's happy yeah. to be told what to do and go along to get along just to be able to say just I'm the same way he was holding up that fake police badge. Hey, I'm in the Senate. Look yeah. how chill this is. I don't have to do anything but what the white men around me tell me to do. And, and I'm just but really quickly going to. Just going to go I'm back gonna real say, quick. Just real quick on that point. Yeah, at the end no, of the day, this boils, this boils down to what the people of Georgia think of Herschel Walker. 
and and whether or not they see him legitimately as a U.S. senator. And and the reality of it is, is it just about grabbing the seat and having the power? Or do you want someone who's actually going to represent you in the Senate? And so far, the answer seems to be, well, maybe not. They right. They want somebody who's going to just have. They just want the seat. And, and I do have to say one more thing. I'm not going to brag on Michael because uh, he's sitting here and I'm going to embarrass him. But I I've known Michael Steele since we used to battle on TV over issues. We didn't agree oh on. Gosh, I, I still think we don't agree on anything. <laughs> but one thing I have to give you, Michael Steele, when you were trying to get more black folks to be Republicans, it wasn't based on saying look at this football player. It was saying we're going to come talk to you and meet you where you are. We're going to have legitimate conversations about issues where we're going to treat you like an adult. We you weren't out there saying that we're going to do the hucky buck, That's you right. know, and just entertain you with entertainers right. and, and put people that are. And also they didn't like you for it. Your party no. didn't like it when you stood up and, and were man enough to try to lead. They didn't want. And, and so it, to me, even your experience, you don't have to put it out there, but I'm just I'm going to say it. I'm saying it, not you. Well, I, appreciate I feel like that, your experience right. tells us what the Republican Party wants. And it ain't somebody like you. Michael Steele, Juanita Tolliver, thank you both. Up next on the readout, appreciate Pennsylvania it. Senate candidate chairs uh, John Fetterman in his first interview since this week's debate. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. To be honest, dear, doing that debate wasn't exactly easy. In fact, in, in fact, I don't think that's ever been done before in American political history before, actually. You know, after that stroke, I got knocked down. But I got back up. That was Democratic Senate candidate John Fetterman last night at a campaign event in Pittsburgh. One day after debating his opponent, Mehmet Oz, and just months after suffering a stroke that nearly killed him. The lingering effects of that stroke include difficulties with auditory processing, which is something Fetterman acknowledged would give him a disadvantage at Tuesday's debate. But he powered through anyway. Some medical professionals commended his performance. One speech pathologist said he still has a ways to go, but I think he's recovering very well. What he is showing is pretty typical. And while some pundits and politicians on the right mocked Fetterman's recovery or cast doubt on his fitness to serve, others doubled down on their support, including Senators Ben Ray Lujan and Chris Van Hollen, who both had strokes this year and who both were able to recover and return to work. Lujan tweeted that he is proud of Fetterman for bringing so much grit and fight to the debate stage, writing, I know that debates are one of the hardest moments of any campaign, let alone five months after a serious stroke. I'm glad voters saw the clear contrast in this crucial Senate race. It's also apt to mention that in Pennsylvania, a lot of voters have actually already cast their ballots. 
Target Smart shows that so far, more than 683,000 votes have been cast. That's 73% of them have been, and 73% of them have been cast by registered Democrats. Joining me now is Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor and Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate, John Fetterman. Uh, I want to thank you, sir, for joining me. Thanks for being here uh, today. So great to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So uh, in this debate this week, um, you you did call out your stroke. You called it the elephant in the room. Um, and I you know, acknowledge you're using closed captioning for this interview, for other interviews that you've done as part of that recovery process. And you've been very open about missing some words here, missing some words there. So let's just go ahead and address it. In your view, just logistically, you're running for the United States Senate and actually doing the job of senator. How would continuing to recover from your stroke impact doing that job if you were to win next week? Uh, uh, yeah, all of our doctors believe that we are absolutely ready to be fit to, to be serving. And, and you know, one of the things we always remind everybody is that by January, I would be much, much better. But Oz will still be a fraud. And, you know, and I rely on the judgment on real doctors, not a, 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 a fake uh, doctor like Dr. Oz that has spent his entire campaign you know, ridiculing it and, and counting how many words that I might miss. And again, I acknowledge that, of course, uh, any debate is going to be easy uh, for somebody in, in recovery. And we wanted to be in, thought it was important to, to be there. And we showed up and uh, getting knocked down. I always got back up. And to me, that's really at the essence of our campaign is that we're running for any Pennsylvanian that ever got knocked down that has to get back up. And that's really what we're running on. You know, and it's not just uh, Dr. Oz. I mean, it seems to be a very sort of common Republican talking point. Um, I mean, there have been a lot of people in media who have made comments about it as well. But the, the Republican Party particularly, let me play what the person who is in charge of the Republican Party, his name is Ronna Romney McDaniel. This was Ms. McDaniel on Hugh Hewitt's program talking about your performance in the debate. I do not underestimate what the triple toxicity politically of those three can do. I hope there are cameras and microphones because you put those three together and they could say anything, Ronna. Oh, maybe they can get a full sentence out. I, um, I think John Fetterman uh, drew the short straw on that one, right? I think all yes. the candidates got together and said, which one of us has to campaign with Biden? And yes. He, drew the he said, I'm, I've lost, so bring him up here. I'm done. I'm toast. Uh, put some yeah, butter on so. it. Uh, so Biden said, between the two of us, we may be able to finish a full sentence. So they were throwing a, a Biden dig in uh, as well. And this is something that the right does a lot. But I, I, I've heard a lot of people, seen a lot of people on social media, they're talking about something called ableism. This idea of, you know, mocking people who have any sort of disability. I mean, we saw Donald Trump do it when he was running for president. We've heard this sort of tone against you. Uh, and I wonder how you answer that. And do you feel that having gone through this, that you are sort of having to be in defense of people that have had a disability? And has that given you more empathy for, for, for you know, the people in this country who are going through something similar to what you are or just other disabilities in general? Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, the, the connection that I've had with in individuals have reached out all all across the, the, the country, wherever I'm out, just in, in Pennsylvania or even on social media, people reach out and it's actually been inspiring uh, and they share their stories. And, you know, to me, this is it has absolutely made me much more apathetic than I, I thought I already was. And and we're we've never tried to hide, you know, what, what's happened and that we're using captioning and we, we talk about it, and we address it. But we've always showed up. And last night we had thirty five hundred supporters out front 
and we're having a, you know a, a rally. So we're being as transparent, and we showed up for the debate. And of course, it wasn't going to be easy. And if if anybody wants to mock that, or if anyone wants to make make fun of that, um, I, I think, like I said, it's much more about if you got knocked down. It's about getting back up and and fighting. And that's exactly what we're doing. And. Let, let, me, let me show what the, the one thing that actually has come. I, I am of the mindset that debates don't necessarily move voters who, except maybe undecided voters. But the one thing that has come out of this debate that is memorable is this soundbite from your opponent, which you, your team is actually, I don't know if it was your team, it made into an ad, but take a look. As a physician, I've been in the room when there's some difficult conversations happening. I don't want the federal government involved with that at all. I want women, doctors, local uh, political leaders, letting the democracy that's always allowed our nation to thrive, to put the best ideas forward so states can decide for themselves. Women, doctors and political leaders. How much is abortion playing into this race in your view? Oh, absolutely. It's very critical and it's been very motivating. And then actually to hear Dr. Oz speak about what he really believes about abortion and the fact that it, it should be, be made by by local political uh, officials like the Doug Mastriano. I mean, it, it was it's, it's alarming. And, I, and the fact that now people realize exactly what he believes and, and the kind of vote he would make if he was in in the Senate. Yeah, it's you can't afford to give a clown uh, a vote on Roe v. Wade. And he celebrated when Roe v. Wade fell. And this was a really a true, uh, true point where he mentioned just what he actually believes about abortion. And he believes that the, the choice belongs with people like himself or Doug Mastriano and does not believe with women and their actual real doctors. And just to make it clear, if a if Lindsey Graham's bill were before you and you were the United States senator from Pennsylvania, how would you vote on Lindsey Graham's bill that would make a, an abortion ban national? Yeah, to, to, to me, uh, yeah, I, it's it's uh, I run on Roe v. Wade and that's what I've always run on. And that's what I would would always stand. And I would call to eliminate the filibuster and and be that vote to codify Roe v. Wade. It's the it was the lake. Excuse me. It was the, the law of the of the nation. And that's why it should have never gone away. And I am running to make sure it's possible to always stand up for abortion rights. And one, let me ask you one economic question, because I know economic issues are very much important to voters everywhere, including in Pennsylvania. You've been very critical of oil companies and laying a lot of the blame on them for the high prices that have sprung off of the high price of oil and gas. Do you feel that oil companies are more to blame um, and that price gouging, let's just be honest, is more to blame for the inflationary pressures we're seeing in the United States than, say, Biden's policies of giving stimmies or uh, giving student loan relief? Well, of course. I mean, wasn't it? I think it was today uh, that where Shell announced that nearly 10 billions in, in, in profits. I mean, it's 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 astonishing. Now, we all know that inflation hurts Pennsylvania families. And it, it also shows that they have record profits. Of course, we have to push back against that. You know, there's never been an oil company that Dr. Oz can 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 take a look at and not want to swipe right about. I mean, he, he is is never going to be the kind of, of, of senator that would ever stand up and push back about uh, the greed and, and the, the price gouging. And, you know, I stand on the side of working families here in Pennsylvania, and he would stand on the side of, of oil companies who believes that he actually believes that we're 
being too hard on these oil companies. You know, so it really comes down to that very basic choice, choice here in, in this race. John Fetterman, Lieutenant Governor of the state of, excuse me, the great state of Pennsylvania. Thank you very much. Really appreciate being here tonight. All right, up next on the readout, when she's not egging on insurrectionists, they're calling women, quote, the lesser vessel. Lauren Boebert is talking about the end times and pushing Christian nationalism. Great. Well, her opponent, her Democratic opponent, Adam Frisch, joins me next. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. It's Monday, everyone. Happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a voter, what would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case, or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night. The Republican Party has shown they are willing to say just about anything to regain power. If they're able to win back the House and Kevin McCarthy gets his longtime dream of being speaker, the question is, well, who will actually wield the power of the gavel? As the minority leader, he has hid his head in the sand time and time again, as the extreme MAGA House members appeared to be running the asylum. And in a recent interview, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor, soon to be former Mrs. Green, said that if Kevin becomes speaker, he will have to give her a lot of power to keep the base happy. She's just one of the many many MAGA faithful that he will have to appease. That includes first-term Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who since being sworn in has made a name for herself. No, not on the basis of the work that she's done or the bill she's passed, but because of the childish antics and aggressive trolling that she is focused on. She's also been increasingly vocal in promoting an extreme Christian nationalist agenda. The church is supposed to um, direct government, not the opposite uh, way. I believe that many of us in this room believe that we are in the last of the last days. You get to be a part of ushering in the second coming of Jesus. We're not the same. Women are the lesser vessel. And we need masculinity in our lives to to balance that uh, that so-called weakness. The church is supposed to direct the government. The last days, the lesser vessel. Well, in less than two weeks, voters in Colorado's third district will get to decide if she truly represents their beliefs. And while some political forecasters are calling it a safe Republican seat, polling earlier this month from a Democratic polling firm known for being among the most accurate in the state showed her Democratic challenger, Adam Frisch, just two points behind, 47 percent to 45 percent. A five-point swing since the summer. Adam Frisch joins me now. Uh, Mr. Frisch, I I actually noted you uh, when people on Twitter were very excited about this two-point spread in this Democratic poll. I just want to give you three of Lauren Boebert's greatest hits. Um, You've got the 
um, Boebert refusing to go through the mags, the, the magnetometers in the Capitol, clashing with Capitol Police because she did she wanted to take her gun through the magnetometers. You've got Representative Boebert on January 6th tweeting, today is 1776, endorsing insurrection. And then this ad, which is one of the most shocking ads, I've been following politics a long time, that I've ever seen. Here it is. It's time to cut the crap and remember, this is the people's house. Madam Speaker, tear down this wall. complete with a gunshot. You live in the district. Is that what people in your district like? Is that the feedback you're getting on the ground that people are enthusiastic about that kind of representation? Well, thanks for having me, Joy. Great to be here. No, uh, without a doubt, the reason we've gone from minus nine to minus seven to basically even is because people are sick and tired of uh, what we call the angertainment industry that Representative Bobart and her mentor, Marjorie Taylor Greene, are all for. Uh, they're not focused on bringing down inflation. Uh, she's not focused on bringing health care for veterans. She's voted against het- veterans benefits 80% of the time. People want to focus on kitchen table issues, not this angertainment industry. She spends most of her time traveling the country. Well, I'm putting on, I've done about 20,000 miles since uh, the primary, and I'm about to launch on Saturday morning, a 3,000 mile, 100 stop tour across this entire district. And this is why we're doing so well um, all across it. We've launched the Republicans for Fresh website. We really, we're just, the momentum is growing uh, on the financials we're doing. We still need a little bit more money. You can go to adamforcolorado.com for that. Uh, We're doing really well in the polling and the momentum, and we're getting endorsements left, right, and center, literally left, Uh, right, and center. And you mentioned Republicans. This is our great producer that did this this, uh, segment, noted that Republicans outnumber Democrats 150,000 to 115,000, according to the Associated Press. It's a Republican-leaning district. You said there were Republicans supporting you. I grew up in Colorado. I know there are a lot of very, very conservative Christians in the state. But are the Republicans who are coming across? I mean, she said that this, the church is supposed to direct the state. She, she wants a theocracy, and she's very open about that. Is that the way this district is? Do people want to have a church-based—and which church is a good question, which, which God we talk about here—a that kind of Christian church running the government? No, and this is why she's leaking in the polls, and this is why we're building momentum again. This is why we're getting endorsements from all over the state, from the conservative media. Uh, she, uh, Don Corum, who ran against her as a state senator, collected 36% of the primary vote, and he endorsed us a couple weeks ago. Um, we also endorsed by a former Republican state House uh, Speaker, and so we're really doing well. CD three Western and Col- Western Colorado and Southern Colorado. It's a it is about it's a, it has this libertarian streak, um, especially even even on pro choice, which is really important to me as well. And people just want to be left alone by the government. They certainly do not want any religion, even if it's their religion, driving the federal government. And you, you mentioned abortion because it's such an important issue. Every, everywhere I go and I talk to people, that is the thing that's scaring a lot of women. In your district, are people okay with the state, even in the state of Colorado, being in charge of their bodies if they get pregnant? Is abortion a big issue in your mind in this election? Well, I think what happened in Kansas back in August was a very representation of where we are, even in rural Colorado, which is where, where we are in this district. Uh, the, the demographics of CD3 is a lot like 
uh, Kansas, and it is about health care and freedom. Listen, my father was an OBGYN for 50 years. He spent his last couple of years working with Planned Parenthood. I have three younger sisters. One of them is an OBGYN as well. So this is a really important issue to me as well. I have a 15-year-old daughter. And this really is about the freedom for people to make their own decisions. And I'm hearing this left, right, and center again. It is about, it, we have this libertarian streak that is really, really important out here. And it's just let us be. And we certainly don't want any religion, even if it's our religion, being stuffed down our throat by any politicians. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I don't care what Dr. Oz says, having local political officials in the exam room with you and your doctor, I don't think no. anybody, even Republicans, want that. That is bananas crazy. Yeah. And it's not it's not what I don't think anybody wants. Uh, good luck, Adam Frisch. Thank you very much for being here. Um, and coming up, why a judge in Arizona might have to stop armed extremist groups from watching voters as they submit their ballots. Adrian Fontes, the Democrat challenging insurrectionist Mark Fincham for a powerful election oversight office in Arizona, joins me next. Forget the culture war. We're in a voting war with more than 100 lawsuits already filed this year around the upcoming midterms. It's the most litigation ever before an election. Meanwhile, pro-Trump Republicans are training election volunteers to challenge any vote as threats and intimidation tied to the election flourish online. Then there's the dangerous extremist election deniers who are on the actual ballot, like Carrie Lake the Republican candidate for Arizona governor, who recently said, sure, she'll accept the election results so long as she wins. It's emblematic of what we're seeing all over Arizona, a state that elected Joe Biden, sending Donald Trump into a tailspin. And where today on the ballot for secretary of state is Republican Mark Fincham, a one-time oath keeper and Trump-backed conspiracy theorist who marched to the Capitol on January 6th. Secretaries of state help run elections and certify election results. It is virtually impossible to steal an election without their support. The anti-democratic extremist front knows this, which is why a group calling itself the America First Secretary of State Coalition is working to place election-denying candidates in charge of state's elections, a strategy to force Republican victories and install autocracy right here in America. Joining me now is Adrian Fontes, the Democratic nominee for Arizona Secretary of State, running against Mark Fincham. I, you know, I, I thought I thought about it today, um, Mr. Fontes. Thank you for being here. You know, only in America could you have an insurrection, and then people who participated in that insurrection not only avoid punishment but also then run for office in order to run elections. It's a strange and bizarre world we're living in. Talk to me about this situation in Arizona. We now have a federal judge who's going to decide by Friday, I'm not sure what there is to decide, whether or not they're going to order this group to stop, monitor, stop monitoring election outdoor drop boxes in the Phoenix area. Um, these are armed people who are out there with weapons standing there intimidating voters. How is it possible that it takes time to decide that they can't do it? Well, Joy, uh, first, thank you for having me. And, and, and second, let's just call them what they are. They are domestic terrorists. They're using violence or threats of violence to reach a political end. It's absolutely anti-American, and we've got to call it what it is. And it's going to take a little time because the rest of us still believe in due process. The rest of us still believe in the rule of law. The rest of us want to make sure that our society perpetuates in the civilized and regular manner that we've hoped that it would. But the good thing is the lawsuit having been filed, 
Uh, some of these folks are kind of shaking in their boots a little bit. We have here a statement that we uh, saw put out earlier today by the Lions of Liberty, a self-proclaimed uh, group up in Yavapai County, which is the Prescott area, who has said, well, instead of having this legal fight, we're just going to stop because they know what they're doing is illegal. They know that intimidating voters is illegal. They know what they're doing is wrong. And thankfully, some of them have a little bit of a conscience or at least they're finding that they may not have deep enough pockets to defend themselves in court. So uh, there is still hope. Uh, and we're going to keep fighting no matter what to make sure these guys yeah. are put down, but with ballots, not with bullets. Uh, and, and, and I'm guessing it's the latter. Um, let me talk a little bit more about your opponent, Mark Finch. This is the New York Times says about him. He wants to ban early voting and sharply restrict mail-in balloting. Um, he's already suing to suspend the use of all electronic vote counting machines in Arizona. He's co-sponsored a bill that would give the state's Republican-led legislature the authority to overturn election results. I mean, it's literally either you or someone who says he personally is going to decide who wins elections. That, to me, seems terrifying. How is this... What do you make of the fact that he still has so much support? Well, look, at the end of the day, we're still uh, a, a space where folks don't know him very well. They don't know that he's an anti-Semite. They don't know that he's still a, an oath keeper. They don't know that in 2018, before the big lie was born, he sponsored legislation to keep the selection of U.S. senators away from voters and put it squarely in the hands of the legislature alone. And that's the job of a campaign like mine to make sure we spread the word. And you can help us at electfontis.com. Make sure that we put this down. But at the end of the day, look, this is America. We get to have uh, all kinds of opinions and all kinds of diversity of thought. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes it grabs a little bit more of a hold than we'd like it to. But I have faith in the American public and Arizona's voters, and I think we're going to stay sane in Arizona, or at least uh, as sane as Arizona's brand of sanity can be. And I worry about Arizona. I think a lot of people do. We look at this state, and it's a state that all the Republican nominees are election deniers. You know, Carrie Lake is a good presenter, but her ideas are wildly out of step with normal politics. You now have a statement where there was, Katie Hobbs has now um, issued a statement on it, but her office was broken into. And she said this, after thanking Phoenix Police Department, the statement, she thanked them for, for you know, solving this break-in and said that Carrie Lake's preposterous allegation that this break-in was staged is unfounded. Her refusal to condemn the threats have become common in our politics as they continue to stoke chaos. Um, We've already had in another state, the state of Michigan, people try to kidnap the governor because they were angry about the election not going their way. We've reached a point where people can't accept that sometimes your candidate loses. They say, no, my candidate never loses. We will literally kill people if my candidate loses. I don't know how worried you are about your state, but I think a lot of people are. Talk me down. Is your state going in the direction of being anti-democracy? Look, Joy, the entire nation is on the precipice. This is an inflection point. It's not just Arizona, but I will talk you down. We've got retired rear admirals. We've got retired U.S. attorneys for the District of Arizona appointed by Republican presidents. We've got retired, many decade-long serving county attorneys here in Maricopa County in Rick Romley, Paul Charlton, and a variety of different Republicans who are with us. The reason that we have so many of these folks on the ballot in Arizona is just math. If you have one Trump Republican and one normal regular Republican, the regular Republican typically wins that primary. But in okay. each of these races, U.S. Senate, Governor, Secretary of State, there was more than one candidate there or more mm. than two candidates since the Trump Republican won. But look, Joy, you have to have faith. And I will tell you this. 
The reason that they're doing what they're doing is because they want us divided. They want us scared. They are telling us to be afraid and worried. We cannot surrender to that. We cannot succumb to that. And we here in Arizona are on the front lines. We need your support. We need your help. Joy, bring it down a notch. We're going to be okay. We're going to win this thing with everybody's help. And thank you so much. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to pray anyway, because I'm going to pray, sisters. I'm going to pray anyway. Uh, Adrian Fontes, thank you very much. Welcome. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Adrian Fontes, good luck. We'll be right back. <laughs> Okay, to our friends in the Orlando, Florida area, the Readout Roadshow is coming your way. The Readout will be live in Orlando next Wednesday, November 2nd, where my guests will include the Democratic candidate for Senate, Congresswoman Val Demings, and the man who's challenging Ron DeSantis, former Governor Charlie Crist. More details to come. And that, my friends, is tonight's Readout. Thank you all for joining us tonight. MSNBC is going to be live here all night. Today's news requires more facts. Palestinians and Israelis are blaming each other for the tragedy that has inflamed the region. More analysis. Most of the states with the worst rates of gun deaths are ones where Republicans control the state government. And more perspective. This is not just about women and pregnant people in Texas. This is about people across this country. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more.